After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. everyone it's ragu back with mind rolling on the be here now network with two of the most elemental people duncan trussell and natasha leggero without whom there would be no be here now network and uh just uh, to let everybody know this is the beginning of a fundraiser that we're doing for be be here now network um, and if you just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and click at the banner, you'll be taken to a page which has all sorts of different rewards, kind of like an NPR thing. And uh, you just choose something, and that will go a long way to helping support the network and all the podcasters. And, and I really thank you two guys for, for being here and helping with this. And uh, And... And as a result of that, there's there's mind-rolling T-shirts that I don't think I've given either of you that are going to be sent forthwith to you. Wonderful. Okay? There's beautiful mind-rolling T-shirts. I wish I was wearing one. So, yeah, everybody out there, take a look at all of the lovely rewards. And uh, if you can, help us out. And if you can't, just give us some love and feedback. It's all good. It's all energy. So again, thank you guys. And um, and I said this before we got on about the uh, elemental nature of uh, both of you. And uh, with a, we weren't we aren't uh, going to go into a lot of detail about it. But unless Natasha, yeah, had not kicked Duncan in the ass <laughs> and he fell down the stairs into her, your basement. It was our basement. We lived together. (laughs) It was our basement. We lived in the house together. That's right. Uh Uh-huh. But um, just consider, what if you had gotten along and the relationship worked out? You'd still be there having kids. Of course, you have a beautiful child with your husband, Moshe, and Duncan is over there with Aaron. But if it hadn't, I wouldn't be here. We all wouldn't be here. Isn't that interesting? Karma. That's weird. Right? Yeah. But it did happen. And uh, Duncan was uh, uh, banished himself, shall we say, to the basement <laughs> of Natasha and his house. And uh, then ensued this deep, deep internal investigation that Duncan did and somehow ended up in Ramdas's lap uh, through Skype. And then... Uh, for some reason, 
he decided to write an anonymous letter to uh, Love Serve Remember Foundation, and there I was. I didn't know Duncan from Adam, and although I had been in radio a long time ago, I didn't. I was aware of podcasts. This is way back, right? I mean, who was Joe Rogan was the only one that anybody knew about doing podcasts at the time. I think. I mean, you had a you had a nice audience that you had, uh, were developing, and uh, and that's why, to this day, I say Duncan Trussell is my guru, oh, my wow. podcast guru, <laughs> and, uh, and but this couldn't that- have happened. Eh? I was going to say, and all that came from drinking five-hour energy drinks uh, <laughs> every hour. Weren't you drinking like a lot of energy drinks? Duncan? Me? <laughs> yeah. Was I? I just remember you were always kind of like, yeah, you know, you you had a lot I of like e- I energy. Remember. I don't remember that I if I don't remember exactly what I was consuming. So probably it was more than energy drinks. <laughs> I think so. That's what you told me it was. <laughs> wow. So. Um, and of course, and I still say, and you are primary to this story, Natasha. So we are in our fourth anniversary of this network, Be Here Now Network. Okay. Just now, in the middle of the summer in 2020, in the middle of all of the goings on, shall we going. say. So we're really appreciative. Uh, that we've gotten this far and uh and you know we've got uh, a very loyal and uh mixed audience in terms of all the different offerings that we make so again thank you guys for being here and um now i you know i was just thinking about you know what i wanted to chat with you all about and uh you both have children very young children a couple of years old each and i was just um I don't know if you know who the Dalai Lama's translator, When I mean, he does, obviously now he's not coming back to the States. He just turned 85, by the way. Happy birthday, His Holiness. And his name is Tukten Jinpa. And he's a, an incredible scholar on his own and was a Tibetan, was a Lama and then gave up the robes and got married and had a family. So I, I, did, I did a podcast with him oh, quite some time ago, a couple of years ago, maybe. And I was just looking back at some notes. And um, interestingly enough, he, uh, he was talking about, with everything that's going on, and uh, he, his particular comment was, to the naive eye of someone who grew up in a poor part of the world. I mean, he came, he was a refugee, came from Tibet to India, I don't know if you know it, that most most of these people were put on road gangs, building roads up in the north of India. I mean, it was a very tough life. I think he lived in a camp, actually. And uh, at first glance, people in the West seem more confident, efficient, better able to take care of themselves and enjoy life. But that all is not as it seems, as we well know. Uh, people neglect neglect their basic needs for sleep, nutrition, and drive themselves harder and harder at work because they don't know how else to find validation as human beings. People lash out or shut down when they are criticized because they are all too ready to believe anything bad about themselves. But at the same time, they can't stand to hear anything bad about themselves because they lack a sense of self-worth to balance it. 
People feel anxious, anxious and depressed and desperate, and they don't know what to do, and they blame and berate themselves for this too. So he's talking about, you know, also the economic system of Western capitalism, and, and we see what's going on these days with that, and the inequality and uh, the racial injustice, and he goes on about all of it. And then he says something, this is what caught my eye, just in, in terms of talking to you guys. He says, he said the, the, he suggests the question, considering all of this, uh, what do we want for our children? right as a way of revealing the revealing some universal values which he centered around this wonderful african phrase i don't know if you know what it is it's called ubuntu 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 is a bond of sharing that connects all it literally translates as i am because you are and it's all about human values of compassion and humanity which is what he was suggesting, this is what we have to ask ourselves. What are we giving to our children to, that stands the chance of completely turning the course of, of, of some um, major road that we seem to be on karmically, collective karma, you know, with the virus and with the racial injustice and the economic deprivation that's going on that will go on further, it seems. What do we want to pass on at this time? And, and I'd say one other thing we talked about. It just said His Holiness is 85th. You know what he says? He says our chance for, he doesn't call it redemption, but going forward, it's about our, the mothers. It's about the mother and what they, that mother passing on love and compassion to a child. That will change everything. And so that's certainly one everybody would say, you know, grand premise. But what do you guys think, you know, about this with, with both of you having two-year-olds, right? And with one, everything one thing, that's going on? One thing that just came to my head is that's really beautiful, but I know that I want her to be optimistic. And I was just thinking, I'm not that optimistic. <laughs> so how do you pass down optimism in such a negative world? You know, I mean, I am around her. I should be around my life, but I do feel that, you know, with the, the environmental ravaging that's going to happen, I, I also worry that our generation of kids might hate us. <laughs> like, how did you let that happen to our world, you know? And, and I think that just really teaching them about the environment, obviously all of the other things that you said, but just trying to make them crusaders, I think. <laughs> hmm. What do you think? You, I was reading something Chogim Champa Rinpoche about <clears throat> this very thing saying, you know, if you want to get into, before you get into any of the isms, communism, capitalism, socialism, first figure out if you can find harmony in your family. And that if, if we can figure out a way to become harmonious with the people we live with, then there's hope in the sense that the, and I, you know, I think Ramdas was so good at bringing everything down to something quite pragmatic, which is the best thing you can do for the world is be great to the people around you. And the best way to be that is to work on yourself. And to, to for me, that's that means 
when I'm with the baby as much as possible, trying to be in the moment with him, dropping my agenda, letting go of my eight hour energy drink energy and just fully being there with him. And and if I'm meditating every day or if I'm checking in with myself, then at least I know I'm fucked up. At least I know that like I'm angry. At least I know that I'm that uh, the reason I'm running to make stuff a lot of the times is to escape from this sense of suffering. Because I think that's the thing that can easily happen as you start getting confused regarding the world. The world seems so toxic. The world seems so horrible. The world seems so, I mean, go on Twitter. It's like a feedback loop of negativity. But the whole time, really, what are you seeing? You're seeing something inside of you. You're seeing your own suffering. It's activating that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, one metric I use is like how in the old, in the, t- in the ancient days before the pandemic, how annoyed <laughs> would I get when I was in the middle seat and someone's arm was touching mine? <laughs> you know, like if, if I found myself like really feeling completely fucked over by the guy sitting next to me, to me, that's a good indication that really that has nothing to do with the, that arm. It's because I, I'm upset. I And to me, just that alone with no sense of in, any fixing it seems to at least sometimes make me a little less reactive. Mm. But I do think there's a really big challenge in being in the moment with your kids right now because of our phones. And I do feel like every time my kid looks at me, I'm like doing this. And it's sometimes I'm I'm with her for like five or six hours, you know, and I have things going on. And I do feel like even though I try to only show her like two hours of media a day, which is still a lot, I do feel like she's constantly seeing me on my phone and I feel like I'm at war with tech, but it Mm. also feels very inevitable. Yeah. What feels inevitable? That they're going to be masters at, (laughs) at technology, but at the same time, technology, they can learn that really fast. Like they could, be a whiz and start when they're 12. I'm assuming it's easy to catch up. You know, everything moves so fast. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Hopefully by then they will have figured out a way they will have, you know, I don't, I just don't think people understand the thing we're messing around with, with social media. I mean, it seems it's so colorful and, you know, sleek Twitter instant looks cool. TikTok, all of it looks cool. I don't think we understand. This is like high powered psychedelic. And that depending on who you're following on Twitter or depending on what media you're looking at, that's a it's like taking different types of a psychedelic. And and we don't have any uh, there haven't been any like tests like we don't know what it does to your brain, you know, especially like kids having iPads at two. That just hasn't been studied yet because we haven't seen those people grow up to be 40. So I, I don't know. It just feels like a lot. I agree. It is. But uh, it is here. We are with this. They are with this. It's not going anywhere. And I think it's perspective. It would really help. And, you know, and then I go back to what His Holiness said. I mean, as long as you are giving love and, and, and they are witnessing compassion on a day-to-day basis, the, I don't think it matters ultimately. Yes, there, we don't quite know what's going to happen to the to these small brains. Yes, there's, you know, I mean, we had all kinds of different karmic stuff going on. I mean, my generation, your generation, and so on. 
but I, I really do think it goes back to just loving that loving kindness thing, which seems so simplistic related to the complexity, uh, as Duncan was saying, of, of the reality of social media and uh, interconnectivity, electronic interconnectivity. But there is a, a basic human goodness that can get translated. I guess that's, that's more of what I think uh, can make the big change. Well, I mean, this yeah. well, this is social media. I tweeted about this. It's a, it, you know, it, it works both ways. It's just, yeah, you know, I just notice. I've just been trying to notice my own particular predilection for, well, you know, I'm on Reddit, and I, I was actually the other day, like, how many, how many posts on Reddit before some someone's saying talking about someone who died? It's like one out of three. How many posts before someone's like, you know, pointing just out some horrific thing and then it's these are like the pieces of bread in the sandwich where there's like you know cute funny videos surrounded by the apocalypse and how this is constantly going into all of us and also how the internet is acting as a medium or a sponge that's soaking up our suffering and amplifying it back at us which creates this terrible feedback loop <laughs> <laughs> which i think we're all experience we're all experiencing to some degree you know i i I, the the times are very difficult you know but very difficult and a lot of really good things are also happening simultaneously though you know and and i think it's easy to instead of seeing the good stuff which is holy shit we've organized the whole planet just about to wear masks when they go outside i mean that's amazing that's an incredible thing that there's even that, that we've become that connected that we're and we have that much love for each other that a lot of us are doing that. Mm. That's a beautiful mm. thing. Yeah. And then also what you were saying, Natasha, people going out there in the streets to you know fight against oppression, risking some kind of viral pneumonia. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. the generation is really inspiring. Um, so uh, as I went along, uh, just this line of thought. Uh, I thought, what what are some of you know? Obviously, His Holiness' his thing is is the core of anything. Love and compassion is what Ram Das was all about. And then I uh, I was just looking for some other ideas and thinking myself, what are the other components that can really help us now? You know, and that's why I kind of wanted to have this this live podcast be more about some positivity because there's so much negativity right now. So uh, it occurred to me, I remembered, um, so with the the Buddhist vows, there's three vows, right? I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge, well, first I take refuge in the Buddha, second to the Dharma, the law of things, and third, Sangha, community, satsang. So Ananda, his chief disciple, went to him and said, well, out of those, what do you consider is the most important out of those three? And he said, Sangha, satsang, community. And, um, and he said, having good friends is the whole of the holy life. He said, friendship is the most important element uh, in the spiritual path. Everything else flows from it. Um, and 
so you start thinking about that in terms of one's own life and the importance of that. It's something that we've we've here at the at Love Server member be here now ramdas.org, you know, put a tremendous um emphasis on and you guys have been to the retreats in in Maui that we've done and um that's central to what we're trying to share because that bond that is uh they call it uh kalyan mitra you know in the east spiritual friends it's a little different than you know uh, regular friends you go out and have fun with and trip around and do all of that there's another underlying thing that you make sure that you are being totally honest with this person that you are going to give feedback to this person no matter what you're not going to be concerned about um the straight jacket of uh oh my god he's going to tell me this and uh, you know I'll never talk to him again you know all of the kind of social mores that uh, that we have and um so I think that's something really uh, what what is it in your lives have you experienced related to that kind of friend you know and uh, and obviously one's mate you know is that kind of friend i'm assuming um but uh, yeah how how does that ring for you in terms of being able to navigate some of this really tough shit that's going on That's a hard question. <laughs> I hope my child can be that kind of friend. That's that would be very inspiring. Um Are do you, are you asking qualities or p- actual people? Qualities that really enhance uh the ability to have the kind of resilience that's necessary in this world. The o- I mean, kind I, of openness that you can have with somebody that allows uh, there's no restrictions on the exchange that you would have with this person i mean i'm lucky i have uh, because of going to india all that all those years ago and the people that i met there through ramdas and ramdas himself and being around uh, neem karoli baba being around this saint uh we got to see each other so nakedly you know the core of who we are and that set up a, a kind of a lifelong connection that way and the fact that uh that that is existent in in my life is is a huge huge blessing i mean and you know uh, and duncan of course because we spent a lot of time together uh has ex- you know experienced that in terms of the people that uh, you know and the the community that we're sharing and uh i don't know quite what it would be like without that especially during these times so yeah just the idea of uh of the way in which we can connect with another human being allows us to come out of ourselves of our little mini me boxes and then maybe we can be of some use to people that we don't know that well that's kind of the concept that i'm talking about what's that thing uh, ramdas said everyone's everyone's in the sangha but not everybody realizes it yet that there's mm-hmm. a kind of quality of amnesia you know like 
One, as I'm sure you've heard this before, but the comedy community is a very loving community filled with people who empower each other, and it's all it's all about unconditional love. No, <laughs> but it is a great community. I'm just kidding, but you know that because that before I met uh, you, Raghu, and got lucky enough to hang out with the Rondas community, my you know I was hanging out with the comedians, and uh, and there is a quality in getting on stage in front of your friends of nakedness, for sure. There is a quality of, of exposing yourself to just your, your friends watching you bomb. I mean, it's humiliating. And But what's wonderful is you get off stage and they'll come to you sometimes and they'll punch up your joke and you realize it's like, it's there's something there. But then, you know, I think everything you can look at as a, a kind of continuum or a, a, you could tune things. And, you know, also in the in any kind of business or industry, or there's going to be like fighting, jealousy, infighting. People want, you know, limitations, limited resources, limited stage time. So there's, there's going to be this quality of like um, fighting for that stage time, which when you hear Ramdas talk about wanting all of Neem Karoli Baba's attention, you see that indeed that, that quality translates over into that community. And but it somehow gets a little more refined in the sense that Ramdas wasn't upset because Mitzi wasn't giving him 15 minutes on Thursday to work on a, his new hour. He was upset because he couldn't have all the attention of this awakened being. It, and I think probably there's even more refined states of it, I would imagine. And, and clearly there's horrible versions of it that go all the way down to the, probably the hell realms where it's people just eating each other's eyeballs, you know, and it's a continuum. It's a continuum. And this is why I love what, when Chogim Trumpa says, confusion is a condition of enlightenment, meaning that you almost can't escape in You can't escape it. If you're aware of your confusion, then you're already on the continuum because that awareness, what's the awareness of your confusion? And how far does that stretch out? And that's you too, not just the confusion. Similarly, you know, I think one of the things you're saying, I, I, I just start thinking like, God, I need, I, need, I need that kind of community. I want friends like that. I, I feel like I'm not a good friend. I just started feeling all guilty. I started feeling like, oh, man, I, <laughs> me too. it was like a bummer, man. You're like making me feel like, oh, I got to be better than people around me. And I need to move to India and I got to find this guy. But really, I think like also within the, it's more about like find, having the eyes for the beauty, having the eyes for the love, even with your most difficult friend. How, you know, mm. have in, 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 cause instead of tuning into the, their, whatever the thing is that bothers you about them. Always mm. going back to that if you can. You know, you get to pick. That's, that's, is, isn't that true, Raghu? And, and both are happening simultaneously. You, your friend is an asshole. Yes, there are qualities of assholeness in me, for sure. Yeah. And also, hopefully, no, it, no, no. no okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm completely, I'm, besides for me, you know, I was just, no, I think there's a lot, you can liberate yourself from the idea that you're going to find a perfect friend. And yeah. then maybe there, there you can start loving the yeah. people around you right now instead of scampering off to some hippie commune somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the, the truth is, the, to me, like I just went through this thing with, with somebody who I was in India with all those years ago. Like we're as close as you can get as uh, friends, spiritual friends on every level. And he, 
he really pissed me off about something, some work we were doing actually together. And I could not let go of this. It took me a while. Thank God he was too busy and I knew it. And I wasn't going to get, he's writing a book. I wasn't going to get in touch with him. And, uh, and eventually we did talk. And because the core underlying all of it was love and, you know, as Sharon Salzberg uh, you, uh, talked about once, talking about love, it's a shitty word. It means you're weak if you talk about love. Yeah. And so it's kind of like guru. All these words have just been evaporated into vapid nothingness. Uh, but we don't have any other words. So uh, because of that core that we had, it was it just dissolved. And that is a beauty. Uh, um Emerson called it uh, this kind of friendship a masterpiece of n nature. I love that. It's a masterpiece of nature. When we can communicate intimately with one another and support each other unselfishly, come what may, this truly is a masterpiece of nature and one of our brightest human achievements. Mm. And our best hope in troubled times. And I guess that's really what I was, wanted to get at with uh to me this is one of the the great uh panaceas of our times and and to nurture that really starts to help cut through this us and them thing because if you can nurture that it you stand some chance with people who you're in opposition with without that you have no chance at all and uh, duncan and i natasha have been talking a lot about this and working on a project around moving from the me-me to the us and looking at all of our stuff. And boy, historically, we have just this huge ton, a mountain of stuff to get through. So we are realizing just how difficult it really is when you see all of the causes and conditions that create this, this kind of, a, of attachment to me-ness, you know, so... Um, have you been thinking about meanness? Because you have to give up a lot of that meanness around your baby. Right? Meanness? Me, 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 mini me, you know. Yeah, it's you do become, I have felt a lot more selfless, but also simultaneously a lot more useless creatively. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't exactly been enjoying it as much as I could be. Um, but I have noticed that this is the only time I've put like what I want to do aside to like sit with a baby so she doesn't see me on my phone mm. and like, you know, pretend that we're going to the zoo, you know, and just mm. kind of walk around for like 20 minutes, you know, but it's like, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to do? I want to chill. I want to read things that are like inspiring to me. Like I don't really have patience. I'm not naturally suited to like imaginary play. I don't know. I just never really, I don't really like other kids. Like I love her, you know, but um, I think that it's challenging in the best way. I mean, obviously I'm honestly really grateful for this pandemic because I've spent so much time with her, like way more than I would mm. have because mm. I had, I was working and I had a nanny and, you know, now I'm like spending all of my time with her. So that's a real gift. Mm. That's, that's so going to be a game changer. 
You too, right? It keeps me positive, yeah. Me, no. I work no Aaron has been taking care of the baby. We we've had we have help. I I work on the podcast and I love it. And I I'm I'm in my studio and I'm making music and then all of a sudden I'll be around my family and I'll have that thing that you're I think you're experiencing, Natasha, where I start hierarchizing, creating over my family. And that's my ego. That's my and I, you know, I've been working with David Nichter now for, I don't know how long, like a couple of years at least. And finally I'm sitting again. And then all of a sudden I realized like, oh man, you know, what's happening is I don't even want to create. I'm a lot of the time I'm just running away from suffering. You know, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to feel bad. So if I'm making something or I have some sense of creative output. Or even pretending to work. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can from that open heartedness. You get when I'm with a baby, my heart's always breaking. You know, it's he's the most beautiful kid I've ever seen in my life, and I don't mean that in some schmaltzy way. I mean it. It brings me back to my my childhood, my relationship with my family. It's you know, it, it's like it brings you into the moment, and of course you want to get on your phone because who the hell wants to sit in the moment with all your stuff and a, this beautiful innocent child and a you're, you know what I mean? And all of what it means to have a kid, you know, Grim Reaper's not far behind your kid. You know, you are all leaving this dimension pretty soon. That's, that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, that's what the kid reminds you of. It's like, oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> but, but I'm just saying like the child, the family, I think you're, you're clearly very, and I mean this, Natasha, you're clearly doing like really good work that you have. No, I, I'm looking for a nanny. I just haven't found one yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But right now you're doing like a retreat. Like, you know, this is one of the things that, that, that when we, we when the Ramdas retreats, you go to these retreats. I would go to these retreats and I always would forget. This is a retreat. Like this is called open your heart. This is, but I would always think like, it's like a vacation. You go to Hawaii. You're going to hang out, maybe swim around in the ocean or something. And then, you know, two days in, you're you're crying and you're uncomfortable and you're feeling really like you're feeling you're feeling um, you're feeling what's really going on with you. You know, and that I think is something that sometimes it's really good what's going on with me, but sometimes it's not at all, you know, and I think that dealing with that stuff putting away all your tricks to get away, uh, to, to distract yourself from it. And especially what you're doing, Natasha, to, to recognize like, oh yeah, my agenda, whatever that was, I am putting that on the shelf for a moment for love. What is that? That, that is, even if you're on your phone here and there, or, or, or whatever, it's still just that in your mind, you've clicked over into, oh, there's something much bigger than me. Wow, that's incredible. Hmm. I, you know, I think yeah. that's amazing. I think yeah. that's what you were saying in the beginning about mothers. Yeah, mm. no, exactly. You're doing exactly what His Holiness's prescription is. And here it extends. Uh, I found this other thing. It's from Buddhist teachings. Uh, the, the Bodhisattva, which is a being that promises to come back each incarnation in order to until everyone is free, they are not going anywhere. Okay, that's putting other before self. 
So that's the idea. So the Bodhisattva clearly sees that no one can be happy or content while others are suffering. There is no individual awakening. No one can be happy, enlightened, unless everyone is happy and enlightened. Self and other are not two, two truly different existing entities. They are mutually conditioned positions or concepts. And this is what's really interesting. This is from Norman Fisher, a great uh, Buddhist monk. What we call a person is in reality a series of interactions and relationships. There is no atomized, freestanding person. This is completely obvious to the bodhisattvas. That is why love, compassion, and friendship are at the center of the bodhisattva path. That is why the Buddha of the coming era is called Maitreya, the Buddha of the practice of friendship. Wow. How about that? That's cool. I love that. And I do think this time during the pandemic has been nice to reach out to friends too. And I feel mm. like I can have conversations with people on the phone. And I think that, you know, people are starting to just kind of know who their group of people are. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly that kind of depth. Uh, we're, we're going deeper on all levels. We're going deeper. We're going deeper around uh, racial injustice. You know, we're real. I, I mean, I've been doing podcasts with various uh, people, African-Americans and, and other marginalized people. And I am like, I mean, it's extraordinary what I did not know. Extraordinary. And uh, so... And uh, so in one way, you know, this, the, that horrific event with George Floyd that everybody saw, talk about everyone connecting around something, you know, it's like horrible that this poor man died. And yet look at what he's done for everybody. And uh, so there's a there's a much deeper level that's going on because of pandemic, because of racial injustice, and uh, and and also some of the you know, economic problems that are happening and that probably are, are unfortunately going to get a little bit worse. And then we have, of course, our political situation and our election. So we are in the midst of some gigantic um, volcano that's erupting you know, on, on kind of a day-to-day -day basis. And um, that's why th these points of view from Buddha are so terrific. They really are. Um, th there's a, a, a great story. If you remember, uh, Duncan, when we were at a retreat with uh, Robert Thurman? Yes. Remember? So he, he told this story that I found. Um, he said uh, he and his wife were uh, at Trump Tower, who has nothing to do with anything, but, and they were with an Indian gentleman and uh, a wealthy man having lunch. And uh, he said, you, you've known His Holiness the Dalai Lama for so long. Have you ever seen him perform a miracle? Oh, this is perfect for you, Duncan. This size. I'm dedicating this to you, the <laughs> miracle man. Uh Natasha, every time we talk about any kind of miracles from India that we experienced back in the day, he just absolutely cringes. I mean, you know. He... <laughs> so anyhow, so have you ever seen him do a miracle? So I was taking my time 
this is Robert, trying to think of what to say to him. Because, you know, you're not supposed to talk about exceptional things. So, But then his wife, Nina, pop, pipes up, oh, many times. I was like, really? Robert says, so I seed the floor. He was leaning forward in his chair and he says, well, what was it? And she says, well, I've been in many stressed situations with the Dalai Lama. And there were many people. And everybody kind of wanting time with him and a piece of him. And a lot of things going on. He's doing his representing of the Tibetan people and the Dharma and the Buddha and so on. And I have never seen him, ever, in all of these situations, ever be with anybody where he didn't give them his complete and full attention. And that's a miracle. And he groaned and he, he wanted a rabbit out of the hat. He wanted a flower of the Arctic or something. So... He's, and Robert said, that's the wisdom, the real wisdom. Right? That's cool. Well, I, the simplicity of these kinds of things that we can take examples from, beings like this, and how easy is it to do? And by the way, I'm... It's not easy. It's not easy, and I have failed so many times at this with my own ADD kind of stuff. You know, how many times have you, you know, hear somebody and they come to you and you're right there with them and they, they're going to tell you a story. They start to tell you a story and you do this. You know, how many times has that happened? Or you just cannot be full, you're glazed over, whatever it is, because you can't inhabit the moment with them. You, you, it's, we don't have that kind of generosity. And, and that's why... I love these. The teachings allow us to get into a place where we have a chance, you know, to be a how are, mensch. How, how can you be in the moment with someone if you can't be in the moment with yourself? Yeah. How are you going to be in the moment with anybody else if you can't sit still for five minutes? How do you expect yeah. that you could ever? It's, so I think that if that is a miracle, then which I, I, I you know it when you're someone's listening to you, you can feel it. You can feel it when someone like is staring at their phone or looking at something else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That phone, yeah, yeah the, the, I mean, the, it's, uh, you look around, if you ever can go to a restaurant again, uh, and see what people are doing, it's extraordinary, you know. Or like, you know, when you're watching TV with a friend, and they start looking at their phone, you feel that too, like when the attention gets split, it's, you know, you can feel it. It's, and so it's a good feeling when someone's listening. And it's a good feeling to be listened to. It's a good feeling when you and when you open yourself up to someone and you can see in their energy that, that, that it's rare. You know, with the time when you do get around someone and they've they have training and they actually are listening like a therapist or something and they're trained to do that. It's amazing. Like professional mm. listeners. It's <laughs> you know, but but one of the issues that we're experiencing now, I feel like, is the people who are in our sangha or even just our family are, are very distracted. So it's not, you know, it's like the people you're closest to aren't listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Tell, give me an example. Well, okay. for example, my husband and I'm sure most people's spouses are just always on their phone, especially now because everyone wants to like try to figure out what's going on. So, you know, we're constantly distracted. So... One thing I did because I we got into so many fights about the dinner table and everyone eating while they're scrolling and so now I have like a bucket for the phone at least so oh yeah 
talk for an hour or however long dinner is. Sometimes, you know, he eats really fast, so we can all go check our phones. But, you know, I think it's good for, to model that behavior for the child, too, because, like, I, I don't want to have, like, a teenager or a 10-year-old who doesn't look at me or talk to me while we're eating. I, I don't know. I feel like you have to kind of, like, impose some rules maybe around the technology because it's like permeates every moment. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Totally agree. Totally. Agree. I got all those kind of problems with my, uh, one of my sons and his children. Yep. Well, yeah. And then another, yeah. Yeah. We're all addicted deeply, like powerfully addicted to just, but I think, you know, what's really interesting is what are you, when you're going into your phone, what's really happening? Like, what are you like when you're when you're dopamine? You, you, mm. Yeah, but like what that that anytime the moment that you're like, I'm gonna do that thing that gets me off digitally or whatever. What it's that moment right before you go into your phone. Like, I think there's a parallel in the type of meditation I do where you sit and when you start thinking, you go thinking, and then you go back to your breath. Uh, and it, the idea is somewhere in there, you begin to notice when you get lost in the daydream of your th th mental continuum. And when you're just back in like the gritty world, the boring world, the world is boring. People are bored and people don't want to sit at the table with their family because they think it's boring. And people don't want to hang out with their kid because they think it's boring. And people don't want to do this or that because they think it's boring because it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I have these songs in my head I, that I watch with Forrest. Please, please, I like to say please. No, 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 I don't want to eat cheese. You know those kids' songs that they love, and when we're they, 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 he's so absorbed in. But it's boring. But if I look at my phone while we're watching his cartoons together, he will. He doesn't like it. He wants to in, imagine that. Oh, really? He actually. Yeah, yeah, he, he expresses share, it. He wants a shared experience, you mm. know. But, um, but anyway, all I'm saying is, the boredom. That's one of the things like mm -hmm. David's really taught me is like, what is it? What is the experience of boredom? Because the experience of boredom is what drives so many of the mechanisms that are fucking up the world right now. People are bored, so what do they do? They buy something. People are bored, so what do they do? You know, they, they do some weird thing that's to escape from that bored feeling. That's all I'm saying. And the phones are designed to unborify you, so to speak. So it's like spending more, the more time you spend being bored, maybe the better you become as a person. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that's good. I like that, too. Run to the boredom. This is, Can you I'm, think of another word besides boredom, though? Oh, yeah. It's suffering. I mean, it's suffering. <laughs> Boredom is, is another name for human suffering. It's the new name for suffering. So when you're saying I'm bored, you're really saying I'm suffering. And but does that mean you're never going to love when you're in the moment with your child playing make-believe? What do you mean? Well, if you think of it as suffering. The suffering is very loud. And so and, and it's a lot, I think for the thing that uh, I wish, there's this beautiful, I'm quoting Chogim Trumpet too much. There's this beautiful. Never, this, never. Oh, there's a beautiful description of uh, Padma Sambhava, uh, which is one of the, the like a Tibetan, the Tibetan incarnation of Buddha, you could say. And so he he appears in a 
um, he's talking about like this enlightened child. And so he's saying, imagine a child finds a razor blade covered in honey and licks the razor blade. He's tasting the sweetness of the honey, but she's also tasting her own blood and feeling the pain. These are all happening at the same time. So, you know, the boredom, the suffering is loud. But when you're hanging out with your kid, there's all that sweetness that they all happen together. That's what I'm saying. Like the boredom is just loud. It's loud. But there, you know what I'm talking about when you finally click in with the, whatever it is and you're doing the work way more than I am. But it's not all boredom. That's what you start realizing is that if you just give yourself a few seconds in that state of going insane with your stuck in pandemic land or whatever, and you you realize it's it's kind of nice. The spiders on the floor of my studio, the way the cords are hanging there. There's something poetic about it, but it also sucks. It's boring. I don't want to be stuck in a compound with my wife and kid. That's one true level. But there's another level that's like, I love them. And I'm so lucky that I have a, a place. They're happening at the same time. Well, you know, the, we haven't talked about this, but uh, relating with these obscurations like boredom or just suffering in general. But boredom is a good thing because sit down and meditate for five minutes, right? You immediately, first, well, you're not bored right away because your just mind is going absolutely berserk. Yeah. But once you get into some kind of one-pointedness, that's kind of the next thing that happens is what the hell am I doing here? This is bullshit. This is just empty nothing. And uh, and that's where, you know, your phone might be right there. Well, let me just tap that. Oh, yeah, somebody just texted me. I mean, confronting this stuff without confronting it is the key. Uh, and, and it takes practice. And that's another thing, you know, we talk about, um, like, there's something, Natasha, that's just like drives you that's primal to be with your child and and be in that kind of loving, totally accepted uh, space. And yet at the same time, you're looking at, you know, you're kind of going, where's my phone? Like, you know, so that that's happening. And so the, the next um, movement is awareness of doing that. And that is part of the practice of, uh, as Ramda said, being here now. So, uh, yeah, all of this, there's no getting at full compassion, full love, full awareness without practice. You know, that's something we like to say all the time on these mind rolling podcasts. And, uh, and it's, you know, it, uh, it's like anything. I mean, you guys, you've got tremendous discipline in, in the work that you have done as comedians and as actors and, uh, podcasters by the way natasha do you have a podcast now yes it's called the endless honeymoon podcast and uh yeah we my husband and i give relationship advice <laughs> <laughs> well, you're laughing so i'm laughing i don't know anything but you know the way that you talked about the dinner table that was funny uh, right, well, yeah okay um, we're going to have everybody that URL up so you can check Natasha because I didn't know that and I should have done this at the very beginning 
And uh, I think many of you, um, this is just our uh, instant promo for Natasha. What was the TV show? That was such a great show. The period show that you were on. What was it called? Another period. Another period. Yeah, that was great. I saw some of that. And um, Duncan, since we're doing this now, you know, um, Midnight Gospel, everybody on Netflix. What a show. Great, great show. Rave reviews. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you if you haven't gotten it, (laughs) go on and check it out. Um, So I don't want to get maudlin, but well, we already are. So you are. Uh, This, I mean, I go back to what I said about you know what Sharon talks about love and how people think it. It you talk about love, you're a weakling. I mean. Our, uh, we, we have some of that going on TV every day. Uh, people who consider anything like that is a weakness and it's all about power. Um, and Ramdas spent his entire life doing the opposite. In fact, he used to say that when I first went to India, it was the power that got me. Power meaning how... You know, Neem Karoli Baba demonstrated he knew everything that was going on and, and he blew me away by knowing shit that nobody could know and, and doing other miraculous kinds of things. And then he said, after I went back, I realized it was about the love. And that was, that. there ensued, he came back to America and he shared that. And he shared that for, for the rest of his life till the last moment, uh, Literally, because he died maybe two and a half weeks after the last retreat we had in Maui. Um, there's a beautiful video of that. Uh, everybody, uh, you guys that are working on uh, show notes, put a link up to, to that of showing Ramdas in. Uh, it's just an eight-minute thing, in both in uh, Taos and in Maui last uh, moments. Uh, so I found something that he said, and I, I thought, Coming from him, where he really did the work, and he really he went through something that I very few if you can imagine living twenty two or three years after having a major stroke and being half paralyzed and doing what he did, it's um, pretty extraordinary. So he has the cred, and he can say this. So I am quoting him right now. I'm not interested in being a quote unquote lover. I'm interested in being love. In our culture, we think of love as a relational thing. I love you, and you are my lover. But while the ego is built around relationship, the soul is not. It wants only to be loved. It's a true joy, for example, to turn someone whom you didn't initially like into the beloved. One way I practice doing so is by placing a photograph of a politician with whom I intensely degree, uh, disagree with on my puja table, my altar. Each morning when I wake up, I say, good morning, Buddha. <laughs> good morning, Guruji, and to the other holy beings there. But I find that it's with a different spirit that I say, hello, Mr. Politician. And we could substitute, we won't even put that name. And I told Ramdas. 
a billion times. I said, I'm glad that you can do this. I cannot do this. Okay. I admit <laughs> I cannot do this. All right? I know it sounds, he says, I know it sounds like a funny thing to do, but it reminds me of how far I have to go to see the beloved in everybody. And this is why, this is courage to do the work that's necessary to cross over from me to us. You know, that's something we should uh, talk about another time, Duncan. And he said, Mother Teresa has described this as seeing Christ in all his distressing disguises. When I realized that Mother Teresa was actually involved in an intimate love affair with each and every one of the poor and the lepers she was picking up from the gutters in India, I thought to myself, that's the way to play the game of love. And th that is what I have been training myself for the last quarter century, well, half a century, uh, as it turned out, to see and be with the beloved everywhere. And that's why his loving awareness meditation uh, practice that he did over the last, that was the central part of his teachings over the last few years is really um, a fantastic offering to all of us. And uh, as I said, somebody who has the cred, this isn't just a bunch of words. Anybody who was uh, with him in the last number of years got that and got the thing like his holiness. He like, no matter what, if I'd be wheeling around in his wheelchair and I'm trying to get through a crowd, he would put the brakes on if somebody wanted to talk to him, you know, and I wouldn't, I was pushing. He was putting the brakes on. I was pushing, you know, <laughs> oh God. You know, you guys, thank you so much for, for being here and being part of this, uh, our little anniversary celebration and, uh, and also helping us out to put the word out to people that we're doing this fun fundraising for the network. Uh, there's so many great people on, you know, that you guys know of, Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein, our f uh, very famous uh, um Guru brothers and sisters who brought Vipassana meditation from the East, and uh, uh, Lama Surya Das and Roshi Joan Halifax. I mean, there's such a plethora of, and Krishna Das, and of course, uh, Ram Das. Still, I'm still doing pulling excerpts out and doing uh, intros, which is how Duncan turned me on. Why aren't you just putting a getting something you love of Ram Dass and introducing it. Why aren't you doing that? That's how this whole thing started. And here we are, you know. And uh, so, uh, again, you guys uh, out there, just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. There's a, a banner at the top, you can or RamDas.org as well. And just click on it and go over and uh, see what you can do to help. Uh, and this will be going on for about 10 days. And, um, yeah. I, uh, again, thank you all for all the support to, to the, through these last four years. And uh, I, uh, uh, I hope we get to do this for another, another few years as well. Um, and, you know, we're expanding and getting with new teachers. And, like, you know, Duncan's friend, David Nickturn, who's our friend, who we love, has some beautiful stuff going on as well. So... Again, you guys, anything, last words of wisdom? I'm just so flattered you included me in the story. I mean. <laughs> you, the story doesn't start 
It never happens without you, <laughs> Natasha. <laughs> it okay, doesn't. Good. It doesn't. Thanks for having me, Raghu. I really uh, I feel so lucky to be your friend, and uh, I'll always any anything you need, just let me know. Yeah, well, that's why uh, I made a big point out of the reality of, of friendship and how much we need it now. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to know both of you. I wish I could spend more time with you, Natasha, but you know, I'm in Ojai now and you're in I'll LA. go there. I'm, I'm willing to travel. Okay, good. Travel. <laughs> Come with the baby and Moshe and we'll go swimming and do, you know, social distance, distancing. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. This is uh, Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. As I said, check out the uh, fun drive that we're doing. And we shall see you again uh, next week. And uh, you'll be able to, uh, you know, if you want to connect other people to this podcast, it will be up on Be Here Now Network. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.